Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 63, uh, recording here on May 7th, 2023. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice. So as always, please do your own homework. Well, we got a lot to go over this week. Uh, we'll start with the market update outlook, and we'll get into Bitcoin news. Lots of news this week to go over. And we'll finish by highlighting this week's blog post called A Look at Bitcoin Adoption on my Substack. So jumping right in, stock snapped a four-day losing streak Friday as investors cheered Apple's latest earnings report. And welcome to Strong Jobs Report, which suggested the U.S. economy remained robust despite banking uncertainty and rising interest rates. Apple jumped nearly 5% after its quarterly results topped expectations despite revenue that fell from last year. <clears throat> the latest jobs report showed the best monthly gain in employment since January, leading investors to lower their expectations of a recession. Regional bank shares rebounded to end a brutal week as investors feared more institutions could suffer the same fate as Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, which collapsed in March. Friday's gains were not enough to wipe out the weekly losses for the S&P 500 and Dow Jones indexes, which fell 0.8% and 1.2% respectively, while the NASDAQ composite eked out a 0.1% weekly gain. Looking ahead, the April CPI report is due out on May 10th, and that's the headliner event for the week with economists forecasting a 0.3% month-over-month increase in inflation for the month and a 5.5% year-over-year gain. Following up the CPI print, the latest update on producer prices will be released on May 11th to also give inflation watchers another talking point. Okay. Jumping into Bitcoin news, um, first article here is from Bitcoin.com, uh, and this was uh, updated today. Articles entitled "Fed Reveals: 722 Banks Reported Unrealized Losses Over 50% of Capital as Concerns Over U.S. Banking Crisis Grow." And of course, you know you've probably heard from. Uh, Oh, I guess the president and the treasury secretary and then also Jay Powell that uh, everything's fine. And even Jamie Dimon, after he took over uh, First Republic Bank in a very sweet deal on Monday of this week for his bank, uh, leaving most of the garbage for the taxpayers to clean up um, that, you know, the banking crisis is, uh, is over. and. Uh, I'm not convinced that it's over. And so this, this year article will probably uh, tell us what we have to look forward to. And again, like I always say, you should, all you have to do is look at the stock market to see what's happening um, with the banks. The ones that are selling off are probably in trouble. Um, they were even talking about banning short sales. In fact, I think that's what happened last week and why the regional banks rallied was because there was a rumor that they would ban short sales, which then of course uh, changes the uh, the market dynamic. So um, I think there's more to come here. So uh, 
Moving into the article, the U.S. Federal Reserve is revealed in a board presentation by the Division of Supervision and Regulation that 722 banks reported unrealized losses exceeding 50% of their capital at the end of the third quarter of 2022. The presentation released to the public in April is dated February 14th. It highlights the impact of raising interest rates on certain banks and the Fed's supervisory approach to address issues at these banks. Rising interest rates are creating significant unrealized losses in investment securities and in some cases depressing tangible equity, the Fed presentation states. As interest rates increase, banks with large market value losses could experience increased financial and risk management challenges. The Fed presentation further details at third quarter end, 722 banks reported unrealized losses exceeding 50% of capital. Moreover, 31 of these banks report negative tangible equity levels, which means they are currently not able to borrow new money from federal home loan banks and may lose the ability to sell loans to government-sponsored enterprises, the Fed presentation adds. Many people took to social media Saturday to voice concerns about the U.S. banking crisis. Some stress that this is a clear indication that the banking crisis is far from being resolved, while others warn that the banking crisis in the U.S. is just getting started. Gabor Gerbach, director of digital asset strategy at investment management firm Van Eck, opined, the Fed had the data, knew what could be coming after their reckless interest rate policies, yet they didn't meaningfully warn either the government or the public. Despite multiple bank failures, Fed Chair Jerome Powell has insisted that the U.S. banking system is sound and resilient. Regarding the collapses of Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and First Republic Bank, the Fed chairman claimed those have all been resolved and all the depositors have been protected. Multiple people have cautioned that the U.S. banking crisis is not over, including J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon, who said last month that there will be repercussions for years to come. Uh, well, that's not what he said last week um, after he bought First Republic for a song. Economist Peter Schiff also recently warned that the banking crisis is not over and much worse financial crisis is incoming. So uh, I think it's not over. And uh, I don't know if, if you want to be safe, you probably have to bank in one of the top five, you know, globally systemically important banks because uh, those will probably be the only ones left after all of this runs its course. Um, in the worst case scenario. Because uh, who knows how, I mean, I guess they'll continue to support uh, depositors, you know, so that, you know, the FDI and ins the insurance is really um, not limited to 250,000. It's, it's unlimited and it's not limited to systemically important banks. Um, so it seems like the government's sort of on the way to nationalizing the banking system. So, um, plus it, not only is, are people worried about banks going out of business, but banks just don't pay enough interest now. I mean, you can earn 5% on nine 90-day treasury bills. So in a, in a treasury bill, you know, ETF, um, maybe a little less after they take out fees, but still, that's a lot better than 0.01% that Wells Fargo pays, I think, or 0.02% that Chase pays. So 
you got the combination of deposits fleeing for better to be treated better, better interest rates, and then you've also got people that are just worried that the bank might go out of business and they wouldn't be able to access their money. So it's still a mess and it's uh, going to continue, I think, but we'll see. Uh, that's why we Bitcoin. Uh, moving on to the uh, next article here. This is also from Bitcoin.com. Um, this article is entitled, and I thought for the next three articles, we'd look at a little bit on um, local uh, lawmaking, I guess state-level lawmaking that's occurring around um, Bitcoin digital assets. Uh, I uh, In my blog post this week, I looked at that a little bit as far as Bitcoin adoption and thought it was quite interesting. So I wanted to feature a couple of these things here. Texas House advances gold-backed digital currency bill. A Texas House committee has taken the first steps in the discussion of a bill that creates a digital currency 100% backed by gold specie. Um, the bill identified as HB 4903, which was introduced on March 10th by Representative Mark DeRazio, has garnered the support of 42 sponsors and is ready to exit by the House State Affairs Committee to be voted on by the House. The bill specifies that the comptroller of the state will establish a digital currency that is backed by gold so that each unit of the digital currency issued represents a particular fraction of a troy ounce of gold held in trust. In the same way, the state will have to design an electronic system to allow citizens to freely transact with this currency to make payments. The bill in its current state establishes that the custody of the gold backing the digital currency will be provided by the Texas State Comptroller or can be assigned to a third party which will have to maintain the same amount of gold as the issuance of the digital currency, making it a 100% backed digital currency. Redemptions of the currency will be processed in gold specie or in money with the Comptroller of the state or a contracted third party managing these redemptions. The implementation of this bill would cost the state $25 million for a limited system with a more functional transaction system costing up to $100 million, according to estimations. However, the bill has managed to get grassroots support, evidenced by a 78-page document introduced on April 26, signed by several Texans calling for the approval of this sound money law. Other states are also pursuing laws to establish alternatives to the U.S. dollar as a transactional reserve currency. On April 11th, Arkansas passed a bill that makes gold and silver legal tender, allowing its citizens to use gold specie to legally pay debts and obligations without having tax implications, and 23 more states are also involved in similar legislation. So I think this is really interesting, not that it's Bitcoin news specifically, but that there is a growing awareness of the fragility of the U.S. dollar you know, there's plenty of news. We talked last week, I think, about, um, uh, you know, de-dollarization. Um, in fact, we've talked about it for the last several weeks. Um, and, um, you know, the massive amount of public debt and, uh, you know, the continued propensity of the um, central bank, the Fed, uh, notwithstanding, you know, recent uh you know tight money policy which they had to do in response to inflation their default uh position is to uh expand credit and increase uh 
the ability to borrow and uh, you know continue to inflate um, assets and deflate or uh, the currency. And so, um, uh, you know, based on that, uh, I think more and more people are waking up to the importance of digital currency. In fact, I was listening to the QTR podcast um, this week, uh, and uh, he had on a, a couple guys, Lawrence Lepard and um, uh, Andy Sheckman, and uh, they talked a lot about this, about uh, sound money, about how people are are waking up to this, uh, the importance of this. And so it's just interesting to see that, uh, there's, there's a lot of, uh, action going on, uh, within the United States, uh, toward that end. So, and of course, Bitcoin is by far the soundest money that we've ever had and, uh, or already has a network built and, you know, all you have to do is plug into it and use it if you want it. Okay, moving on. So this next one here is from uh, Bitcoin Magazine. This was dated May 4th. May the 4th be with you. Uh, and uh, it's entitled, Montana Passes Bill Protecting Bitcoin Mining from Undue Requirements. So here's another sort of pro-Bitcoin piece of legislation, this time coming out of Montana. So the Montana legislature has passed a bill that protects the right to mine Bitcoin, among other provisions. The bill is designed to give Bitcoin miners the right to mine without being subjected to undue discrimination or requirements. Bitcoin mining has faced difficulty with regulations at the state and local level before, so this bill provides legal certainty for the industry. Montana is among the first states to provide legal protection for Bitcoin mining. The new legislation would also prohibit discriminatory digital asset mining utility rates, prohibit local government powers related to digital asset mining, and prohibit specific taxation on the use of cryptocurrency as a payment method. Additionally, the bill provides for digital assets as personal property. According to the bill, the Montana Public Service Commission may not establish a rate classification for digital asset mining, digital asset mining businesses, or home digital asset mining that creates unduly discriminatory rates. The bill also states that digital assets used as a method of payment may not be subject to additional taxation or charges by the state or local government. It says the bill would help Montana's economy by giving legal certainty to the digital asset mining industry, encouraging investment in Montana and attracting new businesses to the state. This bill also helps to ensure the stability of Montana's power grid. Uh, so this is interesting because here's a state that really wants to encourage Bitcoin mining. And then I think last week the um, White House came out with a proposal to tax um, power. Cons I think it was or maybe it's just maybe just tax the earnings of uh, Bitcoin mining 30 uh, percent, uh, which would, you know, if that were enacted, um, would you know, make Bitcoin mining uh, um, uneconomical and, and therefore would basically drive the business out of the United States to some other country that would gladly host it and, and uh, make, make money off of it. So uh, it's interesting to see the states and the federal government kind of going in different directions on this. Uh, but not all the states. So uh, here we have New York. Uh, this one here is from this article is from Coindesk. Uh, this was updated on uh, May 5th, 
and it's entitled New York Attorney General Seeks New Crypto Powers for State Regulators. Uh, the New York Department of Financial Services would have stronger authority to regulate digital assets with exchanges having to reimburse customers if they're victims of fraud under a bill proposed by Attorney General Letitia James on Friday. We're proposing common sense measures to protect investors and end the fraud and dysfunction that have become the hallmarks of cryptocurrency, James said. The New York legislation could directly oppose some core tendencies of crypto companies to provide a range of activities such as trading platforms, custody, and brokerage services. That all-in-one approach would be counted as an illegal conflict of interest under the Attorney General's proposal. The legislation also seeks to ban marketplaces from keeping custody of customer funds. In recent months, James has taken actions involving crypto companies Celsius, KuCoin, and Nexo, claiming a number of crypto tokens are commodities or securities, despite a considerable gray area over the scope of existing law. And the bill would also give her extra enforcement powers, James tweeted Friday. In the absence of federal oversight of crypto, New York has been a de facto leader in U.S. regulation of the industry, an approach that other states, including California and Illinois, have sought to follow. But haven't yet established regulations. The proposed legislation targets a range of stakeholders from crypto issuers and exchange platforms to digital asset influencers <clears throat> with all to be held to detailed disclosure requirements. Investors would be offered details of risks and conflict of interest and crypto companies wouldn't be able to borrow or lend customers assets, James's tweet said. The bill would grant Attorney General jurisdiction to enforce any violation of the law, issue subpoenas, impose civil penalties of $10,000 per violation per individual or $100,000 per violation per firm, collect restitution, damages, and penalties, and shut down businesses engaging in fraud and illegality, a press statement from Friday said. The state's crypto activities are regulated by the New York Department of Financial Services, the supervisor of the controversial BIT license, but the support James's bill has received from several members of the state's legislature suggests the regulator may not have had sufficient authority to oversee the sector. I applaud New York State Attorney General Letitia James for the timely introduction of this legislation to protect New Yorkers from financial harm by establishing a comprehensive regulatory framework for the opaque cryptocurrency market. State Senator Kevin Parker said in a press statement, while Stephen, Steve Otis, state lawmaker representing Westchester County, called the legislation groundbreaking. The lack of transparency plaguing the crypto industry causes immense harm to countless investors, especially low-income New Yorkers and people of color who carry a disproportionate share of the losses, New York City Comptroller Brad Lander said. An NYDFS spokesperson told Coindesk in a statement that the regulator was currently the only prudential regulator that has crypto-specific authority in the U.S., and it is DFS's priority to ensure that consumers and markets are protected, and New York continues to be the global financial center. Recent DFS guidance has made clear expectations around the use of blockchain analytics technology, U.S. dollar-backed stablecoin issuance, banks engaging in virtual asset activity and consumer protections in light of insolvencies, the spokesperson said. Earlier this year, the department was the first regulator to address Binance ordering Paxos to cease minting Paxos-issued BUSD, ameliorating risks before consumers were harmed. The department also reached a $100 million settlement with Coinbase after an investigation found that the platform had 
uh, or was vulnerable to serious criminal conduct, such as money laundering, suspected child sexual abuse, material-related activity, and potential narcotics trafficking. Hmm, all very serious claims. In March, James' suit against KuCoin claimed that tokens including Ether constitute securities that should have been regulated with her office. And in such a case against Coinex made similar claims about the Luna token connected with the now defunct stable coin TerraUSD. <coughs> Earlier this week, Alex Mashinsky, the founder of Celsius, denied claims by James that he had misled investors about the crypto lender before it filed for bankruptcy last year, saying that James had cherry-picked statements made to investors. James's bill will codify NYDFS's authority to license and oversee crypto brokers, marketplaces, investment advisors, and issuers prior to operating in the state. Andrew Hinks, a partner at law firm KNL Gates, tweeted that the bill was destined to fail because it misunderstood crypto. It won't be possible to apply the provisions to decentralized organizations, and the market doesn't exist to offer the kind of auditing or insurances James is proposing, Hinks said. The bill must still be passed by state lawmakers for it to become state law. The Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg had reported on the bill earlier on Friday. Uh, my thoughts on this are, you know, if you just buy Bitcoin and hold it in self-custody, uh, you don't really need the state to protect you from anything. Um, but uh, they want to protect everyone. And again, this is all in response to FTX blowing up and all the other crypto exchanges blowing up and people getting wrecked and losing lots of money. But if you just buy Bitcoin and hold it in self-custody, you don't really need to worry about the exchange. Just don't lose your keys. Okay, the next article is from Bitcoin.com. This was updated today. Uh, and I always like hearing from Greg Foss. He's uh, pretty active in the Bitcoin community and on Twitter. He's a very colorful guy, very funny from Canada, super smart. Uh, and so this is uh, looks like an interview. It says, Bitcoin provides insurance against fiat currency failure, says Validus Power Corp's Greg Foss. And goes on here. It says, in less than two months, chaos has erupted in the U.S. banking industry following the second, third, and fourth largest bank failures in the country's history. During a conversation with Kitco's lead anchor and editor-in-chief, Michelle McCory, Greg Foss weighed in on Fed Chairman Jerome Powell's recent statement that the U.S. banking system is sound and resilient. I think Jerome Powell is a horrible poker player, Foss opined to McCory. There's another shoe to fall in the banking industry, or as Elon says, it could be an anvil, Foss added. The validus power executive added that he thought Powell's body language reeked of desperation. Foss insisted that the Fed tightened too much because they waited too long to tighten at the outset. According to Foss, the possibility of more banks collapsing is high, while the largest banks are considered too big to fail and will likely receive bailouts. Shareholders may not be so lucky. This is where significant financial losses can occur, <clears throat> the Validus Power Executive emphasized to McCory. Foss estimates that there is at least $10 trillion of bank equity globally that can literally be wiped out if the system fails. In his interview, Foss expressed his support for hard assets and specifically mentioned real estate, gold, and Bitcoin. While Foss believes that Bitcoin is the best hard asset, he also recognizes the value of gold as an investment. However, 
Boss advises against selling gold to purchase Bitcoin. Instead, he suggests selling a portion of one's bond portfolio to invest in Bitcoin. According to Foss, if a person doesn't own Bitcoin, they are actually taking on more risk. You can look at Bitcoin as being insurance on the failure of a basket of fiat currencies, Foss told the Kitco anchor. $200 trillion is the liability just of the United States. You take 160 basis points times $200 trillion and you get $3.2 trillion would be the implied insurance value on the United States. What is Bitcoin trading for? Well, about half a trillion dollars, he added. Foss concluded his conversation with McCory by noting that Bitcoin is a free and open market, while the fiat Ponzi is manipulated by guys like Jerome Powell. <laughs> and he's right. Moving on to the next article here we have. Uh, this is kind of an... Um, from the Bitcoin Magazine, this is uh, an opinion piece, actually, from Matt Mariah, and it's dated May 5th, and it's entitled, The Business Case for Implementing Bitcoin's Lightning Network. Uh, this is an opinion editorial by Matt Mariah, a CPA focused on how changes to accounting regulations impact the Bitcoin community. Today, companies spend egregious amounts of money on credit card fees when processing customer payments, ultimately cutting into margins that are widely scrutinized by investors and management alike. But the Bitcoin Lightning Network presents a new payment solution with the ability to process instantaneous payments using Bitcoin for virtually no fees. It boasts equivalent decentralized safeguards to the Bitcoin network, ultimately using Bitcoin's blockchain, which has not been hacked since its inception in 2009. While doubt among the general public about Bitcoin manifests itself in the asset's price volatility, this innovative technology built on top of Bitcoin rails poses a unique opportunity for CEOs and CFOs to improve profitability. In fact, you can be anti-Bitcoin and still be able to extract the advantages of the Lightning Network into your company's payment processes, avoiding the issues of Bitcoin price variability. Here are some of the biggest advantages of adopting the Lightning Network for businesses. With mass layoffs circulating the market, investors and managers understandably continue to scrutinize margins. Every dollar matters and can spell disaster without proper planning and foresight. The Lightning Network helps to alleviate these pressures by way of minimal transaction fees. On average, payments made via credit card amount to about 3% in fees owed to intermediary financial institutions. The Lightning Network opens up the possibility to process payments at a fraction of the cost by using micropayment channels. While it is unlikely that an entire customer base will immediately transact through the Lightning Network, even transitioning 25% of credit card payments could significantly improve margins. Without delving into the superfluous details of how Lightning operates behind the scenes, the innovations materializing in the space remain frequent. For example, Ibex Pay operates as a web application service that allows merchants to create an invoice on demand, generate a QR code to be scanned by the buyer with any Lightning wallet, and process payment via Lightning instantaneously. Merchants can opt to receive payment based on the user-designated ratio of BTC to USD. For companies with point-of-sale terminals, Strike is developing Lightning Network capability for many of those while offering similar benefits to the IBEX Pay platform in both efficiency and cost-effectiveness, and most of these services do not require monthly subscription fees. 
Another benefit of using the Lightning Network is a near-immediate settlement of funds. No longer are companies required to wait two to three business days for ACH wire payments to settle and access capital via fiat rails. Intermediaries are removed with the use of the Lightning Network permitting fast access to capital while limiting counterparty risk. Although customer bases are highly dependent on the goods or services offered by a company, there is a large contingent of Bitcoin supporters who prefer and often seek out vendors that operate directly or indirectly within the Bitcoin environment. Many Bitcoin advocates use websites such as btcmap.org and satmap.app to find businesses that accept Bitcoin. Given that the Lightning Network is a layer built on top of the Bitcoin network, adopting it can provide you with an ever-growing built-in customer base that is hungry to contribute to and share the successes of businesses operating under the Bitcoin umbrella. Still, the relative infancy of the Lightning Network means there are potential limitations and risks. For, for instance, IBEX Pay currently offers a maximum $2,500 transaction size. Additionally, and as with any new technology, while the network is gaining traction, there are still potential risks with bugs and other vulnerabilities. Recent traction in popularity has helped to lessen concerns over this proof of concept, but without decades of data points to lean on, there's no guarantee issues will not emerge. Lastly, a current lack of regulatory clarity in the digital asset realm could potentially lead to more questions later. With all that said, the Lightning Network provides companies with a competitive advantage from a financial, operational, and technological standpoint, though there are some concerns due to the relative infancy of the product in addition to existing limitations and current solutions. However, rather than standing by and suffering through the oncoming margin pressures that continue to infiltrate the economy, it is worthwhile to take action and adapt. My recommendation for business owners out there is to trial run implementing the solution for at least a small segment of your business and to build out enough of a sample size to compare to current payment processes. What's the worst case scenario here? You're not reaping the benefits outlined herein, but you are without collateral damage to your business. The best? You are a first mover in a technology that aims to interrupt the payment processing space coupled with increasing margins and gaining quicker access to customer payments. The decision is yours. Uh, great piece and, uh, you know, totally agree is it's, it's a great business case for the Bitcoin lightning network. And, uh, while it's, it's, uh, still quite small, it's been growing very fast and, uh, it's, you know, certainly a lot cheaper than, um, existing payment networks. Okay. And, uh, Next article here is from Bitcoin.com, and uh, this is this has been uh, kind of kind of blowing up over the weekend. So I thought I would uh, talk about it here. Um, this was just posted today. Bitcoin network overwhelmed by 390,000 unconfirmed transactions and surging fees. As of Sunday, May 7th, 2023, the Bitcoin network is experiencing a major traffic jam due to an overwhelming number of unconfirmed transactions. The latest statistics reveal that a whopping 390,000 transfers are currently stuck in limbo waiting for confirmation. This backlog can be attributed to the surge in minting and transferring of ordinal inscriptions and BRC20 tokens, which have flooded the network. In fact, the Bitcoin blockchain is now hosting over 13,000 BRC20 tokens and a staggering 4.17 million ordinal inscriptions, further exacerbating the congestion. 
To clear the current backlog, a whopping 179 blocks would need to be mined. Given the average block time of 10 minutes, it would take approximately 1.24 days to mine the required number of blocks. This backlog has caused transaction fees to skyrocket by a whopping 343% over the past 11 days. As per bitinfocharts.com data, the average transaction fee currently stands at 0.00031 BTC or $8.82 per transfer. Bitinfocharts.com further shows the median size Bitcoin transaction fee currently stands at 0.00018 Bitcoin or $5.16 per transfer. However, the situation is far from ideal as per mempool.space. The website revealed that a low priority fee will still set you back $7.74, while a medium priority fee costs $7.90. For those who need their transactions processed urgently, a high priority fee of $7.99 per transfer. Adding to the frustration is the fact that the current block time is longer than the 10-minute average, with the last block taking a whopping 10 minutes and 55 seconds to be discovered. The clogged mempool has been a hot topic on social media lately, with users expressing a range of opinions on the matter. While some are excited about the surge in activity, others have labeled the rise of non-financial transactions as a DDoS or an attack. Despite the optimism of some, the rise in unconfirmed transactions has not led to a significant increase in Lightning Network adoption. This is because it is still expensive to open and close a channel, and non-custodial solutions are few and far between. Uh, at precisely 11.07 a.m. Eastern Time, the largest crypto exchange in the world, as measured by trade volume, has temporarily halted Bitcoin withdrawals. The exchange has attributed this decision to a congestion issue that the Bitcoin network is currently grappling with. Our team is currently working on a fix until the network is stabilized and will reopen Bitcoin withdrawals as soon as possible. Rest assured, funds are safe. Bitcoin Finance wrote on Sunday morning, and I'll cover that in the next article. Uh, my thoughts on this, um, sounds like a free market, you know, uh, supply and demand. So the more demand on the network, the higher the fees are. Fees, high fees are good for the miners. Um, and, you know, if it's uneconomic for you to send Bitcoin, then don't send it if you don't need to. Um, and frankly, it's still, you can still send, uh, you know, a million dollars and pay nine bucks. I mean, I, still think that's pretty good so i don't see it as a big deal maybe the mempool will never clear again but uh you know i think it's a it's a it's a well-functioning free market dynamic and uh that is a good thing it's good to see that for a change uh, next article, uh, again goes in a little bit more detail on binance this again just popped up here about just as I was getting ready to start the podcast. So uh, this is from Cointelegraph, and it was, again, 30 minutes ago posted. Binance closes BTC withdrawals amid congestion on the Bitcoin network. Uh, crypto exchange Binance closed Bitcoin withdrawals on May 7th due to an alleged overflow of transactions on the Bitcoin network. Bitcoin mempool is clogged with over 400,000 transactions awaiting to be processed at the time of writing. The mempool is known as the waiting area for incoming transactions before they're verified independently by each node on the network. Binance tweeted that withdrawals had resumed after nearly an hour of halting. Behind the congestion is believed to be a surge in BRC20 transactions in the last few days. The trading frenzy on meme coins like Pepe 
drove Bitcoin transaction fees to their highest point in two years. The Pepe token has jumped over 263% in the past seven days, according to CoinMarketCap. Developed after Ethereum's ERC-20 token standard, BRC-20 is an experimental token standard recently introduced that allows users to create and transfer fungible tokens on the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, so again, uh, you know, Binance probably didn't want to charge higher fees to their customers, so that was probably the reason for the halt. Um, but if you have to rely on an exchange, then maybe you should be holding your coins in self-custody. There was also some talk about UTXOs, which are, you know, the uh, uh, kind of uns uh, unspent transactions that, that um, so if you buy like 0 0.01 Bitcoin and bring that into your wallet, that's a UTXO. And then if you buy one Bitcoin, that's a UTXO. And so uh, there's some folks saying that it makes sense to move your coins around and consolidate your UTXOs uh, so you uh, don't have as many. Um, so then when you start um, moving them around again, it's, it's a little bit more efficient. But then there's a flip side of that uh, too, uh, you know, that, um, um, you know, when you concentrate them into one address, then, you know, people, uh, if they had the right uh, technology, could look at that wallet and, and know that oh you know that's how much coins that particular wallet is it, they can't necessarily identify it to you but um so anyway there's there's sort of a uh, you know balance between security privacy and um and then also cost that you have to weigh when you're managing your utxos and it's a little bit beyond my expertise a lot actually beyond my expertise right now but uh maybe i'll dig into that and uh you know, in a future episode. But anyway, uh, that's Binance. And then uh, this I thought was also interesting. Uh, this was posted on May 5th on Coindesk. Uh, U.S. Justice Department investigating Binance for Russia-related sanctions violations. And this is from Bloomberg. And so, um, uh, Binance has sort of been in the crosshairs of the U.S. for a while now, um, you know, as they're trying to sort of uh, disrupt the crypto industry, I guess, for lack of a better word. Operation Choke Point is the word that there's the, uh, what a lot of people have been calling it, uh, which is really, you know, just uh, going after exchanges, going after uh, everybody in the industry, miners, you name it, and uh um, you know, pushing regulation and, and all this other stuff to, quote, rein it in. Uh, and mo again, most of it in response to the failure of FTX and all the exchanges that happened recently. Uh, so this article starts out, the U.S. Department of Justice's National Security Division is conducting an inquiry into whether Binance allowed Russian customers to access the exchange in violation of U.S. sanctions related to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, according to a Bloomberg report that cites five people familiar with the matter. The Justice Department inquiry is another high-profile action against Binance after a 2021 joint investigation with the Internal Revenue Service against the global exchange. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission <clears throat> has also been investigating Binance for its relationship with two firms owned by its founder, Changpeng Zhao, since at least early 2022. Spokespeople for Binance and the Justice Department did not immediately return Coindesk's 
uh, request for comment. The Justice Department declined a Bloomberg request for comment. Uh, Byant's statement in Bloomberg to Bloomberg said the company complies fully with all U.S. and international financial sanctions. In March, the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission sued Byant, alleging the company knowingly offered unregistered crypto derivatives products in the U.S. against federal law. The exchange has repeatedly pushed back against allegations by saying it has built the world's largest compliance team in the space, a 700-member team that addresses 1,300 law enforcement requests on a weekly basis. Tigran Gambarayan, Binance's head of financial crime compliance, said at Coindesk Consensus Conference last week. In recent days, Binance has claimed to have figured out how to keep North Koreans off its crypto exchange by kicking their ass enough That's that they're actually able to recognize that Binance was not the place for them. Additionally, this month, Israel reportedly re revealed that it had seized roughly 190 Binance accounts with alleged ties to terrorist groups, including two accounts to ISIS. Since neither Israel nor Binance explicitly said Binance had cooperated, it isn't clear how Israel seized accounts on Binance without Binance's cooperation, given Binance isn't obliged to adhere to Israeli laws. So they'll continue to be in the crosshairs for sure uh, as uh, the crackdown continues. All right, and then uh, finishing up, just wanted to highlight this week's uh, blog post on Substack. Um, it's called A Look at Bitcoin Adoption. Still early, but much progress has been made. And uh, I just look at a whole series of metrics on Bitcoin adoption. And um, I think the future looks bright. So check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes to this as well as all the other articles I reviewed in case you want to look at it yourself. And that wraps us up for this week. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Uh, you might want to check me out on Fountain and you can earn sats just for listening. Uh, you can also follow my Substack, uh, like I mentioned earlier, bitcoinfortress.substack.com, and you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Nick Reichard. I'm also on Noster, and I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.